How's everyone doing? Good, good. Well, I am so honored to be here with all of you this morning. Today, we are continuing our fall sermon series called Meals with the Master. And in this series, we've been traveling through the Gospel of Luke, looking at some of the most intimate moments that Jesus shared with one of the most intimate things that we can do together, and that's have a meal. And for this installment of our series, I'm addressing it, I'm calling it 777 Sycamore Tree Lane. And so if you notice, we don't have the table up here. We've got the tree up here. It's, it's awesome. But what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that this is going to be an address that we won't want to forget. Uh, when, when I was a little Steve, I'm big Steve now, but when I was a little Steve, my family, we were living in a suburb of Chicago called Mount Prospect, and my brothers and I, we had a group of friends that we did everything with. Seriously, we were inseparable. And so every day after school, there's a group of about nine of us, we would all go down to Matt Bowman's house. And Matt's mom, she would make us all sorts of awesome snacks. My favorite was Rice Krispie Treats, and the Bowmans, they had a... a garage refrigerator and in it there was always stocked with soda and back then I had really good metabolism so I could just eat, 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 eat. It was awesome. But we'd eat our snacks and we'd hop onto our bikes and we'd head over to the local middle school because they had a really big field that was perfect for playing football on. So we'd get into the field and one of the guys, he'd pull his football out of his backpack and he'd say, all right guys, line up, let's Pick the teams. Let's get into our teams. And so we'd get two captains and the rest of us would line up. And I believe most of us have all been in this situation. You're lined up and you're watching the captains and you're silently wishing, gosh, I hope they say my name last. No, you're sitting there, you're anticipating the moment. You're going, I hope they pick me first. I want to be picked first. We all want to be first. We want to be in. And on that field, the captains, our captains would pick the teams and, and there was, the teams would get picked. And then without fail, without fail, there's a boy named Neil. And Neil, without fail, every time, he would never get picked. He was always the odd man out. And Neil had, he had big ears, so we actually nicknamed him Dumbo. Probably wasn't very, very nice. But, but Neil, he, he was really skinny. He wasn't very fast. He wasn't very skilled. He was, he was kind of like our water boy and cheerleader. He just kind of sat out and watched us play. Well, one afternoon, Neil invited me to come over to his house to play video games. So I went over to Neil's house and we went down into his basement. And I should say that his dad was an avid hunter. So you go down in the basement, all the walls were covered and with the mounts of all the heads that he'd shot on all of his hunting trips. So you walk down in there. So we're getting down there we're playing video games. And in the middle of playing the video game, Neil pauses it and he looks at me and he says, Stephen, why don't I ever get picked to play football? And I sat there and I looked at all the heads around me and I said, wow, I better be careful what I say. I don't want to end up like that bobcat. So, so, and the best advice that little Steve could give, I said, Neil, Maybe you just weren't meant to play football. Maybe you were meant to do something more significant. And I think Neil cried himself to sleep that night. But we, we all want to be in in life. It doesn't matter if it's grade school, backyard football, or to be in with the populars at school, or to make it in when it comes to our careers, or to be in with our relationships. We all want to be in. And some of us will go to extraordinary lengths to be in. 
don't we? Because we all have this desire to be included and invited and involved. But what I'm learning in my life is that usually the things that we think will get us in, the things that are advertised, are actually the things that make us feel like we're out. Usually the things that we think will get us in are actually the things that cause us to end up feeling like we're out. And this morning, we're actually going to start with the end of our story first, because it's the ending of the story this morning that actually points us towards the beginning of a life that's really in, of life at its best. And the best part about the end of the story is actually that it's written in red letters. This means that Jesus is speaking and he's about to give his one sentence mission statement for why he's come to earth. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And he says this, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. This week, I just wrote down in my notes, Jesus's mission is to take outsiders and turn them into insiders by way of unconditional love. Jesus loves lost people and he relentlessly pursues them until they become found people. That's why I believe that the best line in all of scripture, the best line in the Bible is in Christ. It's the best line in Christ. I, uh, I heard a story recently about a, a lady who had a dispute with her next door neighbor. I don't know all the details about the dispute, but they were at odds with each other, this lady and her neighbor. And one afternoon, this lady, she just made herself a cup of coffee and she's in her kitchen and, and she happens to look outside into her backyard. And she's shocked to see that her German shepherd had somehow climbed over their fence into the neighbor's backyard. And the German shepherd in his jaw has the neighbor's white rabbit. And he's just shaking it. And so she goes, oh my gosh. She drops her coffee. She grabs the broom out of her kitchen closet. She runs outside. She scurries over the fence. And she starts hitting her dog with the broom going, drop it, drop it. Eventually the dog drops it. And the lady in a moment of desperation gets down picks up the rabbit, goes back into her house, puts the rabbit in her bathtub and rinses it and soaps it and scrubs it. And she takes it out and she dries it up and she makes it all fluffy and she makes it look like it's new. And when she's satisfied with the lifelikeness of the rabbit, the lady snuck back into her neighbor's backyard, found the rabbit's cage, propped the rabbit up and and left. Well, not 30 minutes later, she hears a scream coming from the neighbor's backyard. She runs out and she finds her neighbor staring at the rabbit's cage. She goes, what's the matter? The neighbor goes, it's our rabbit. Well, yeah, what about it? We buried it two weeks ago and now it's back. Oh, Oh, gosh. Wow. Neighbor of the Year Award, right? (laughs) You know, for some of us in this room, though, for some of us in this room, your life is a lot like that rabbit. On the outside, everything looks fine and all fluffed up. But by all appearances, you're healthy, you're wealthy, you're succeeding, your family looks good, life looks good, you're smiling. It seems like you've got it all together. But on the inside, you might feel dead, you might feel lost, and you might feel empty. 
And this morning we're going to meet a man who on the outside was rich, successful, an elite figure, but on the inside he felt dead. But, but he's about to meet Jesus. Listen to Luke chapter 19, verses, verse 1 through 3. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There's a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I, I want to do, I want to do a little word association with you this morning because I just figure I grew up in Sunday school as a little Steve. I heard about Zacchaeus. I'm assuming most of you have heard about Zacchaeus. We even would sing a little cute song about Zacchaeus. So we're going to do word association. When I say Zacchaeus, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? We little man. Look, I knew you were going to say that. I put it up on the board even before. It's right there. We little man. Well, this morning, I want to actually give us a new word association for Zacchaeus. Because while he was short and probably teased for it growing up, he's the chief tax collector. And how many of you know that you don't want to go to the guy who's assigned to levy your tax and go, what's up, we little man? How you doing? By all accounts, Zacchaeus has made a living exploiting the people of Jericho. He is a mob boss. So so I don't think the people are walking around singing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little... What's up, Zacchaeus? How you doing? I don't think that's what was happening. So, So when you hear the name Zacchaeus, here's the new association. Notorious sinner. In verse 7, that's what the people call him. Uh, personally, just personally, I can't relate to the plights of a short person. I'm 6'4". I've never had to measure up to ride on a roller coaster. And so while Zacchaeus might be a short dude, he's got a tall list of wrongdoings. He might be small in stature, but he's got some big failures. He's a rich guy, but, but he works for the occupying empire of Rome. He's a professional cheat, an embezzler, a traitor, and a thief. He's a notorious sinner. That's the reputation that stuck with him the most. It's not the big mansion. It's not the sizable bank account. It's not the social status. It's that he's a gangster and notorious for it. And that's what the people say about him. The people don't go, wow, Jesus is going to the wee little man's house. They go, Jesus, really? The notorious sinner? You, you come into town, that's the house you choose to go to? That's the guy? And maybe for us this morning, we haven't done the same things in our life that Zacchaeus did to gain his wealth and position. But, we'd ha- but we've had some lapses in judgment. We've made some mistakes. We've experienced some failures. And maybe we can't all put ourselves into size six shoes But we can definitely acknowledge the weight of carrying around the burden that we're a mess. We're on the out. We've done things that the world said, if you do this, you'll be in. And we did it. And it didn't satisfy. It didn't fulfill. And it didn't produce happiness like we thought. I'm there. If that's how we're comparing Zacchaeus, man, I'm there. I can identify with Zacchaeus with that. And so he hears that Jesus is coming. Jesus, the the rumored Messiah. He's pretty important. He's he's pretty popular. And Zacchaeus thinks he needs to go get a look at this guy. 
Uh, Maybe he wants to do some networking. Maybe he wants to go offer to do his taxes. I don't know. But Zacchaeus goes, I got to see him. But he's fashionably late, which in his case isn't a good thing because the crowd is already gathered and there's a wall of people that he can't see over. Maybe he tries to nudge his way through, but the crowd won't let him. Not him, especially not him. But Zacchaeus, he's pretty resourceful. He's pretty sharp and quick-witted. And so he's moved up the corporate ladder for good reason. So verse 4, it says, So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Look, I, I don't know what trees you've been climbing up to get a glimpse of God. But what I do know is that on our own power, the closest we will ever get to God is just a glimpse. We have this mentality in our faith that says that we have to climb up a religious ladder in order to get a glimpse of God. We have to perform. We have to attend. We have to be good. If you just if you just be good, then then you'll be then you'll be in. But that'll only ever get you a glimpse of all that God wants for you. The Bible reveals a God more interested in meeting you in the middle of where you're at instead of making you climb up to get to him. Jesus is God saying to you, you you don't have to just have a glimpse of me. I, I don't want you to just have a glimpse of me. I want you to know me face to face. Wow, it's awesome. But that's not even my favorite part about the story. My favorite part about the story is this line. It's the line when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. I've read the Gospel of Luke before, front to back. And in any of the previous chapters, to my recollection, Jesus never meets a man named Zacchaeus. And I, I, I don't ever remember that happening in Luke. But, but here Jesus is. He knows his name. And when Jesus comes by where Zacchaeus has climbed up to get a glimpse, Jesus calls out his name. Do you know what the sweetest sound to a person's ear is? It's not accolades. It's not achievements. It's not accomplishments or merit. The sweetest sound to a person's ear is his or her own name. We live in a culture where we are bombarded And called out on based on all the notorious things we've done. But Jesus calls out your name. In my notes this week, I just simply wrote this down. The world knows your name, but calls to your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls out your name. And it's at 777 Sycamore Tree Lane that Zacchaeus gets invited by Jesus to share a meal together. Zacchaeus, the notorious sinner. And sure, maybe Zacchaeus, he he provided the food, the place, the hospitality, but it was Jesus who brought the life change, the grace, the hope, and the love that made the meal. Jesus went to Jericho because he had an address he needed to visit. And just how Jesus had Zacchaeus' address, he's got yours too. He's coming by. He's calling out your name and he's inviting you. Quick, come down off the branch of religion. Quick, come down off of your perch of shame and guilt. Quick, come down. I've got to be a guest in your house today. It's an urgent 
invitation. And the message is clear. Nobody is excluded from being with Jesus. Because in Christ, you're never out of God's love. And Jesus is inviting you to do life with him. He's inviting you to hang out with him. Actually, in your bulletins this morning, you'll have this little card should be in there. And it it says, you are invited. So if you want to just pull this out and if you flip it open, there's three things. It says three reasons Jesus wants to hang with you. I thought this was just a little fun way to, hey, you're invited. This is just kind of a reminder to take home with you this week if you maybe need some encouragement. But there's three reasons that Jesus wants to hang out with you. The first one is Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. You might be sitting there in your life going, man, I'm on the down and out. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows. Guess what? Jesus knows your name and he's calling out to you. The second one is Jesus really does love you. Jesus really does love you. You might need some encouragement. And I think one of the best encouragements is to know that Jesus loves me. Jesus really does love you. And thirdly, it's Jesus will give you life if you let him in yours. Jesus will give you life if you let him in yours. This was the invitation that Jesus extended at 777 Sycamore Tree Lane. And it's the invitation he continues to extend today. You're invited. But, but our story isn't over yet. We still have some to go. Verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Sometimes I, uh, I like to take Jesus out to coffee. Seriously, we let go all the time. And uh, I don't have a lady friend to take with me, so... Take Jesus. Jesus would be my first option. Don't don't worry about that. But Jesus and I, we go out to coffee, and so what I'll do is I'll sit down and I'll I kind of push the chair out and make room for Jesus. And this week we were sharing a latte together, and it came up in conversation where the religious side of me came out, and I asked Jesus. I said, Jesus, how could you say salvation has come to Zacchaeus? He didn't raise his hand. He didn't say a little prayer. How how has he been saved? I've grown up my whole life. I've grown up in church. I've been educated and trained. And always, it's always, there's always a formula. There's always a way to get someone to come and come into Jesus. You got to say a little prayer. You got to do this thing. And then, then you're good. Then you're in Jesus. But in this story, none of that is there. There, there's There's no formula. It's not there yet. Jesus declares that salvation has entered the house. And so I was going, Jesus, what's up with that? What's going on? And here's what I felt like Jesus was saying to me this week. This is just what I felt like Jesus was saying. I felt like Jesus was saying, people measure by height and appearance, but God measures by the heart. And that's when the story really connected for me. Because I realized that Zacchaeus had a heart change. The Bible doesn't say how long they ate together or how long they hung out together or what was said, but I bet Jesus spent most of his time being present and listening to Zacchaeus because who had ever done that in his life? 
And I just imagine as Zacchaeus is looking at Jesus, I just imagine maybe the thoughts going through his mind where he, maybe he's just sitting there, he's thinking, wow, this guy, he knows my name. This guy, he, he's listening to me. He gets me. He cares about me. And at some point, maybe after the coffee was served, Zacchaeus says, I'm cutting my bank account in half and I'm giving it to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them back four times as much. Now, I, I am not good at math. If you have a math problem, don't ask me about math. I'm not good at it. But by my calculations, if you think about all the people that Zacchaeus would have cheated to get to his current net worth, here's what I think Zacchaeus is saying. I think Zacchaeus is saying he'd rather be broke financially than live another day being bankrupt without love. I think Zacchaeus is looking at Jesus going, Jesus, I'm making a new investment in my life and it's on you. I want to go after a new kind of life, and it's on you. That's where I want to invest my life. It's an intimate moment with Jesus that changed everything in Zacchaeus' life. There's, there's been a heart change, and it's an inward transformation that expresses itself through outward devotion for others. And that's when Jesus says, salvation has come. The lost has been found. Zacchaeus, he's in and he gets it. And so in my notes this week, I I just jotted down this truth. The proof of being in Christ is by reaching out to others. That's that's the youth way that I would say it. If I was with all of our middle school, high schoolers, I'd go, the proof of being in Christ is by reaching out to others. So the alternate way that I wrote it down this week is I just said, your commitment to Christ is proven authentic in your love for others. Jesus knows your name. Jesus really does love you. And Jesus will give you life if you let him into yours. And the result of hanging out with Jesus is a life transformed by Jesus. He'll give you a new operating system. He'll give you a new way to respond to circumstances. He'll give you a new outlook when it comes to other people. He'll give you a new character. He'll give you new life. Jesus is in the business of taking broken things and making them beautiful things. Jesus has the power to make dead things and make them come alive. He's got your address and he's inviting you into a life lived in love. And what I like to say is, I, I just like to say, the pursuit of your life in Christ is to look and love and live like Jesus. And the best way that we can do that is to learn from Jesus. It's to trust Jesus with your life. Now, I'm not ashamed to admit this next part because it's my reality. This is where I live. But uh, I am directionally challenged. So standing up here, I know that that's ahead of me. This is to the right, the left, and that's behind. And that's all I know. I I didn't grow up going to Boy Scouts. I never grew up on a farm. So I never learned, you know, North. I don't know. I don't know. I'm lost. And so when people invite me over to somewhere and they start giving me directions and they say things like, well, you want to take turn east and then you want to go south and then you want to go west and then you'll end up on the northern road. I'm just like, come on. Give me your address so I can just put it in my GPS and it'll get me there. I love having a GPS on my phone. I would be so lost without it. And I remember last fall, 
I was out in El Dorado, El Dorado, and uh, with some of our middle schoolers, and it was Saturday night, and I had to leave a little early because we had church on Sunday. They weren't going to be back, and so I left, and I got in my car, and I put my home address into my phone, and I did what I always let Siri do. I let her guide me. I hit route, and here we go. Well, Siri took me down a path. She had me turn down a path, and I suddenly ended up in the middle of nowhere. I'm serious, nowhere. I was on a dirt road, there were no lights, and it was pitch black outside. And at every intersection that I got to, I kept thinking that hooded people were going to come out and try to scare me. I saw it on Twitter one time that that happened out in country places where I was, so I was just, I was kind of freaking out. But as I'm going, I'm looking down at the path that Siri has me going on, and I just started to doubt Siri. Which is crazy because Siri is programmed to take me where I want to go. But I started to doubt Siri. It was dark. I felt lost. It it was wild. And so as I'm driving, looking at the path, I'm just starting going, is this right? Is this, am I going, Siri, are you taking me to the right place? Is, Is this where I need to go? And as I kept driving, I started to say something just over and over. I just started to say something over and over. Every time I felt like it was getting dark, every time I felt afraid, I just started saying, trust Siri. Trust Siri. Trust Siri. Trust Siri. Maybe in your life, it feels like you're being directed down the wrong road. Maybe it's hard to see where the path you're on is going to take you. Maybe it's dark on the path you're on. Maybe it feels like you're out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you feel like you're lost. And maybe instead of doubting the journey you're on, You need to start trusting in your GPS or God's positioning system. Maybe the mantra, the thing that gets you through the middle of what you're going through, simply needs to be trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Well, it's really hard. It's really hard to just get a glimpse of him right now. I've just tried to climb up. I'm just trying to get a glimpse. Trust. In Jesus, well, if you just knew all the all the things that I'm dealing with, all the circumstances, all the storms that are hit me, trust in Jesus. Well, if you just knew where my friendships were, if you just knew where I was at in life, I'm so lonely, I'm feeling lost. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, because in Christ you're never out of God's love. Trust in Jesus. Jesus has your address. Jesus knows where you are and can get you to where you need to be. And the cross is Jesus' best attempt to show us that he loves us. And the empty tomb is Jesus' best invitation to show us that he can make you alive. And he's inviting you, calling out to you by name because he wants to hang with you. Jesus is the best thing going in the universe because when you're with him, you're set free to live. You're transformed. You're renewed. You're made alive. And that's what a moment, a meal with a master, can do for your life. It it will change everything. And that's our invitation into a life with Jesus. Let me pray. Well, Jesus, wow. What a great story. Lord, thank you for Zacchaeus. Jesus, thank you that we can identify with him. And we can look all good on the outside, but on the inside, we can feel empty. God, I don't know, maybe there's some people in this room 
that they feel like they've got the label of notorious sinner across their foreheads. Man, but in this story, it's such good news. I'm so thankful that in you, following your invitation, you give us a new label, and it's in Christ. There's forgiveness. There's grace. There's redemption. Lord, and like Zacchaeus in the story, I, I pray for us in this room that if we're in you, we would reach out to others. We wouldn't just hold you to ourselves, but we'd spend our life devoting ourselves to others and making you known. Jesus, in the midst of all the storms that we face, Lord, I, I am so thankful that you don't promise to get rid of the storms, but you promise to be in them with us. Jesus, there might be some broken things, some broken lives in this room, but you have the amazing power to make them beautiful. Jesus, there might be some dead things, some dead feelings inside of us. And Jesus, you're so amazing because you have the power to make them alive. So Jesus, I pray that our life would be a constant pursuit of chasing the invitation to do life with you. Because Jesus, you know our name. You really do love us. And you will give us life if we let you into ours. Thank you, Jesus, in your awesome, awesome name. Amen. Do you see it? To respond to the message we just received.